coloring pencils, glue sticks, crayons, colored pencils, notebook paper, scissors, any kind of the subject notebooks, whether it's one subject, two subject, three subject, four subject, five. I don't know if they make a six, but subject notebooks would be great. I know that the kids can use them. Uh, erasers, uh, Germex, tissues, dry erase markers, some of those things will be donated to teachers directly in the, in the elementary school. And then the other stuff will be going for kids. But uh, on our Back to School Bash, we're going to be having a good day. Uh, we're going to be having um, food, games, outdoor games, bounce house, popcorn machine. And then we have those, those school supplies and bags um, for families, for, for each kid as, as it is um, as first come, first serve. So essentially this, we will only have school supplies to give out as long as we keep donating school supplies. All right. Uh, we're probably going to cut off the donation to the Wednesday before just to make sure that we have enough time to kind of prep everything and, and have it ready to go. And then as well, um, as we get closer, I'll be looking for some volunteers. If you're looking to help out, whether it's run the bounce house, popcorn machine, talk to people, whatever it is. I, I, sorry, popcorn machines already did. I forgot that, right? So someone beat you to it. Uh, I won't tell you who. You'll see that day, all right? Uh, you'll have to watch, and they might steal a, a couple, a little, little popcorn. But, um, but if you can help out in any way, we would love to, to have you. And even if you just want to come and fellowship, we'll take that too. Um, and, and then as well, a reminder, the Women's Ministry Clear Lake Women's Retreat, September the 29th through August, the, uh, October the 1st. Uh, Debbie Vaughn for Christ Life Ministries will be the guest speaker, and I know it'll be a great time. Um, but the cost is be $100 a person. Deposit of $50 is due on August the 1st. All right. I think that's all we got today, except the other announcement would just be that God's good and the Lord is with us. And uh, let's praise him and worship him. He's worthy of it. And I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us today. So let's pray, ask for the Lord's guidance and for His help today. God, we come to you this day. We want to thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your presence, Lord, that we don't just know in our minds that you're with us in some sort of theological way, but God, that you're very much uh, within every believer, Lord, that you're here with us now. Lord, you desire to be with us, and Lord, help us to desire more than anything to be with you. God, I pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds from any distractions or divisions that might be in the church, God, that you would rid us of any sin, rid us of any idols of our hearts or in this church, God, that you would uh, create us to be a, a clean vessel fit for use, God, that you might uh, fill us up, Lord, so you might pour us out. And God, I pray that now as we prepare our hearts to stand and to sing, that we would do so with hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving. We would do so as we desire to worship you, to, to praise you, to glorify you, to honor you in all things, that we would lift you up, God, that we would... Uh, praise you and sing, Lord, that you would draw us close together and close to you. And God, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can hear it preached later. I pray for, for your guidance, for your protection spiritually, for your people. God, that you would open up our, every single heart in this place today, God, that they would receive what they need, Lord. If it's conviction, convict us. If it's encouragement, encourage us, Lord. Whatever the need might be, I know, God, that you're able to do so through your word and through your spirit. God, be with us now. And Lord, I pray that you would get the glory out of all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we're going to start out by singing this morning. If you are able, please stand. And we're going to sing hymn number three, Holy, Holy, Holy. Our Lord, our God Almighty is holy, holy, holy. Revelations 4.8 tells us, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. 
Our God is holy always, eternally. Please start our song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Fourteen sixteen tells us, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Our comforter is the Holy Spirit, and it's with us forever. The comforter has come, hymn number 386. Spread the tidings round Wherever man is found Wherever human hearts And human woes abound Let every Christian tongue Proclaim the joyful sound The Tell the 
blessing be our next song hymn number 430 the bible tells us in ezekiel 34 26 and i will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing and i will cause the shower to come down in his season there shall be showers of blessing There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us our Showers of blessing, oh, that today they might fall. Now, as to God, we're confessing. Now, as on Jesus, we call. Showers of blessing, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us or chance to sit down here in just a second but first the way you got to earn it is to turn left and right and in the back and in front and wave and say hello and tell them you love them and glad you're here we're glad everyone is here god bless each and every one of you and after you do all that you've earned a right to sit down okay all right we have some very special surprise so I'll tell y'all, like my grandchildren tell me, close your eyes and hold out your hands, and I have a very special surprise. <laughs> but our su surprise here today is the Pratt family, and we appreciate them offering and willing to sing. So y'all, come on. Know you'll be a blessing. Y'all got enough mics?
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In green pastures he makes me lie down. He restores my soul and leads me on for his name, for his great name. Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me all my of my enemies. Though the arrows fly in the terror of night is at my door, I'll trust you, Lord. And surely goodness, surely Right beside me all my days and I will dwell in your house forever and bless your holy name. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow Your holy name. 
tell you all that there straight out of the Word of God, and I appreciate that. And that had some power in it, uplifting. If that didn't edify the Lord in the name of Jesus, I don't know what would, because that's His Word, and we appreciate that. Lord, thank you for that wonderful song. Join with me now as we pray. Ask the Lord to continue blessing. He's sure blessed so far, and I have confidence he'll continue. But let's talk to our Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your blessings, all your daily benefits, Lord, and your mercy and your grace this day and days past. We praise you, Lord, for your wholeness and your righteousness and all your glory and all your majesty. Lord, thou art a wonderful, good, holy, righteous God, and we just praise you for everything that you are. Thank you most of all, Lord, for dying for us on the cross of Calvary and giving your perfect, sinless blood for sinful people that are in the world, such as me, Lord. And, Lord, we ask you to continue blessing in this service here today. We pray, Lord, that the songs that have been sung, the music that has been played, it has brought honor and glory to you. And thank you for the blessing of the songs, especially special here by the Prince. Lord, that was really uplifting to me and encouraging and, and Lord, and spirit-filling. We just uh, praise you for that. Now bless our pastor, Lord. Give him, Lord, strength and power of the Holy Spirit of God. And, Lord, use him as your mouthpiece, your vessel, Lord, to convey your message to your people here today. And may you be honored and glorified in that message and help us to be submissive to the, uh, your word and to the preaching of your word and uh, help us to be obedient, not just hearers only, but also doers of your word. And Lord, if there's a soul in the midst here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for that person. Encourage us where we need encouragement and convict us where we need convicting. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for all this accomplished here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you're able, please stand. We have uh, one more song before preaching. And uh, y'all pray for us. This is a brand new song. I always get just a little bit nervous when we have a brand new song. But I want you to know I have been practicing but this old mind and body sometimes plays tricks on you, and it might not follow all this uh, practicing I've had, but uh, I think we'll do fine. But uh, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death, is the title of this song. And Revelation 19.1 says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God Christ our hope in life and death what is our hope in life and death Christ alone Christ alone our only confidence that our souls to him belong 
and what will keep us to the end the love of Christ in which we stand oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing hallelujah now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death what truth can calm the troubled soul God is good God is good where is his grace and goodness known in our great Redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the stormy trials who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore the rock of Christ oh seated. Thank you, Lord. Now, let's make our pastor feel welcome. Give him a nice round of applause for his dedication to the Lord. What a joy it is to sing praises to the God who is worthy, who is good, who is faithful. What a joy it is to sing to Christ who is our only hope in life and death. If you don't know Christ today, I want to tell you, you are without hope 
You can have, you've put your hope in plenty of things, but they've all failed you, and they all will fail you, and they'll continue to fail you. The only hope that you can ever have in this life, the only, uh, over, uh, only hope you can ever have in death and eternity is Christ alone. Thank God for the song sung this morning, the worship lifted. What a joy it is to hear. Just to pause a moment there, the last refrain, and just to listen to the sound of God's people sing. It sounds an awful lot like eternity. Take your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, you probably have this mark in your Bible at this point. We're going to be looking today at verses 19 through 20 to continue in the presence of God. There's nothing more, nothing greater that we need in the presence of God to know God's presence. And I would tell you, dear folks, God's here this morning. Praising that He is. We've looked at different aspects of His presence, specifically His presence through the Holy Ghost in every single believer. Today, if you are saved, the Holy Spirit of God is within you. You know what that means? That means God is within you. God's presence within you. Not because of any goodness you've ever done. Not because of any work you've ever done. You're not worthy of it. You're not deserving of it. But it's because of His free gift of the grace that is found through the Lord Jesus Christ, of which we've sung this morning, of which we've fellowshiped over, of which we have unity over, because that's the only thing that gives us unity, hope, and fellowship today. We're going to look today, though, at something very specific, and that is going to be the purity of His presence. Verse 19 tells us what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price... Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank You, Lord, that You are here. I want to thank You that Your presence is here, Your presence is felt, Your presence is known, and God, I pray that it be Your presence that would change us today. God, thank You for the worship lifted this morning. Thank You for the songs sung. God, thank You for new songs that can refresh our hearts about the hope that is found in Christ. I pray, God, that, that now... For every heart in here, for every mind in here, including my own, God, and especially my own, Lord, this morning, that you would cleanse us of any sin, cleanse us of any idols, cleanse us of anything that would, would distract us or discourage us or divide us, God, that would keep us from seeing you and you alone. God, I pray that you would put me aside, that it would be you that speaks, it would be you that preaches your word this morning, God. No one can preach your word like you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and through the power and might of your Holy Spirit, God, that today, if there's one who needs to be saved, God, that You would save them, convict them so greatly of sin that they can do nothing but cry out to You for mercy. And God, I know that You will give it. God, if there's one, one saved soul today who's grown apathetic, God, I pray that You would crush their pride, crush their, their cold heart, and God, that they might come back to know and to see Your goodness and to see how surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, God, to see Your goodness once more. God, may we experience Your presence today. God, may we be changed by it. We thank You for this time. Go with us now. Guard my heart, my mind, my tongue, my flesh today. God, that you'd preach in Jesus' name. Amen. So you look, all of life's problems and solutions are found in a knowledge of God's presence. The greatest issue of our day is the fact that people not only do not know God, but even more so that they do not know His presence, nor can they. How can an impure person know all that is pure and holy and righteous? He can't. I would tell you this, though, that there is a way. And it's not through anything you'll find in this world, but it is found through what we've sung, what we've heard already, and that is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is that the Holy One of God stepped forth into this dark world as the light of the world. He put on flesh, and though He was tempted as you and I are, He would not, could not sin, and He did not sin. He lived a perfect and sinless life. 
He laid His life down willingly upon that cross of Calvary, shed His blood for you to cover your sins, and not even just to cover your sins, but to cleanse you from all your sins, to even become your sin, to become a curse that you deserved, to face the wrath of God that you and I deserved. And He did so out of His love for you so that you would not have to face the wrath of God, so that you would be able to experience the presence of God here now in this life and as well in the one to come, that you might experience hope now in this life and in the one to come, that it would be found not through religion, not through works, not through any outward thing that a man can do or produce, but through Christ and Christ alone. It is a gift of God's grace. It is received by faith. And it is all to the glory of God. It is found in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Him today, you must know Him. And the only way to know Him is to do what we've spoken of already. Call out to Jesus. He will save you to the uttermost. His mercy is there for you. You have not ever run too far. You have not sinned too much that God cannot save you, that God cannot cleanse you from your unrighteousness. All of the Christian life though as well, not just for salvation, depends and hinges upon the presence of God. The greatest issue with Christianity today is that we have lost the presence of God. We have plenty of programs. We have plenty of church services. We have plenty of books and self-help things. We have plenty of different wackadoodle stuff out there to try to help people out and try to point them to God. But if you do it in the flesh, it will account to nothing. And the issue today is that we have lost what our forefathers used to know. And I'm not talking about forefathers. We're not just talking about George Washington and the like. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about our forefathers in the faith. Those who lived by faith, walked by faith, and depended upon faith because they depended upon God and God alone for all things and in all things. They knew something that we don't know much of anymore, and that is the powerful might of God's presence. They knew it in their church services, but long before they knew it in their church service on a Sunday morning, they had it on a Saturday night, they had it on a Friday morning, they had it on a Thursday night or a Wednesday morning. They had it every day of their life because they knew that the Holy Ghost dwelt within them and that the presence of God was right there. And everything that they did in their life was lived out of abundance and an assurance and an awareness the presence of God in their life. And I would tell you that is how the Christian life is meant to be lived. The Christian life is not to be lived on your own or without the presence of God, but rather to be in a fullness of the knowledge of God, a fullness in the presence of God. And we would see great revivals if every individual would get a hold of that truth that we need God more than anything in this world and that we need God and God alone. We just might see revivals. We just might see a change in church's directions because a church corporately will never change unless believers are changed personally and individually from the inside out. And that's what we need today more than ever. You see, the goal of the cross is the glory of God, not just your sins and your salvation. Because your salvation, the moment you got saved, you know what happened when you got saved? God was glorified. You know what happens as you are being sanctified through the power and the work of the Spirit of God within you? You are glorifying the Lord. All things are to the glory of God. But in this, He reconciles sinners that they might live life now by His presence. And then one day as we've sung, eternally fellowship with Him in His presence. The greatest thing about heaven is not grandma and grandpa. It's not streets of gold. It's not gates of pearl and all these different beautiful things. It is God Himself. There is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more worthy than the presence of God. The thing that makes heaven heaven is God's presence. The thing that makes the heavenly city of Jerusalem, which will one day come here, that you and I will dwell in. What makes it so perfect is not the beautiful description of what it looks like on the outside and the inside, but it's the One who is there with His people. And it is God. A.W. Tozer once wrote, to know God is at once the easiest, the most difficult thing in the world. It is easy because the knowledge is not won by hard mental toil. Thank God. (laughs) But it is something freely given. As sunlight falls free on the open field, so the knowledge of the Holy God is a free gift to men who are open to receive it. 
But this knowledge is difficult because there are conditions to be met and the obstinate nature of fallen man does not take kindly to them. Sadly, your flesh does not care to know God. Your flesh does not care to walk with God. This world does not care to know God nor to walk with Him. The devil does not care to know or walk with God because he decided that he should be God instead and he was cast forth. He's the God, the prince power of this air. He's ruling right now and going and seeking who he may devour. And I would tell you this, he will devour the soul. He will devour even the Christian that is not living and walking in the presence of God. Your only hope, your only protection is to abide in that sweet presence. But we must understand some things about this knowledge of God. It is available to you and I today if we would just but look at the Holy Spirit of God and what God has done for us, the free gift of His grace. And not only is it there, but it must be received and applied as you surrender your will to His, as you surrender your spirit, your inner self, your mind, your thoughts, your everything to Him and Him alone. Then will we see His presence. Then will we see His power again. Then will we see the truth of which we were supposed to live out. Today, we have to understand that only a knowledge of the purity of His presence will truly purify our lives from the inside out. Religion won't do it. Church won't do it. And I'm afraid that many church members, many church people today know just how to do church, but they don't know how to live the Christian life. It's easy to live a church life. It's not, it's not so much that uh, people want church. Why? Because church requires you to do some things. You've got to show up. And before you even show up, you've got to dress you got to brush your teeth, maybe throw in some deodorant, show up to church, you get there on time, you find your place, you shake a hand, you sing some songs, you walk out, right? you have to sit and, and bear that horrid sound coming from the preacher for however long it goes. You've got to go and do all these things, and then they require you to, to throw some money in a box to maybe show up and help and fellowship, all these things. And we like that, you know why? Because it puts the ball in our court, because we have to do it all. I want you to know the Christian life is not about doing it, it is about what has already been done in Christ Jesus. When Jesus said it is finished, that means it is finished. It is completed. It is full and final. All that we need is found in the cross. All that we need is found in Jesus, in His person, in His work. It is found in His presence. But we must know this about the presence of God, is that it is pure. And therefore, if we are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God, as we have read here in 1 Corinthians 6.19, what does that mean about our life? It should be pure. From the inside out. You see, the temple of God... As he talked about in the Old Testament, the temple was to be a pure place. Why? Because the presence of God was there. What about the presence of God? Is God holy? Yes, matter of fact, we've sung it this morning already. He is not just holy, He is holy, holy, holy. And that's not just a repetition of one word over and over. This is something more. The idea here in the Hebrew of holy, 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 we see it in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 8. We see that God uh, is seen as holy. Holier, holiest, meaning that there is nothing that compares to Him. You can have the purest water on this earth that's not that pure in the sight of God. You can have the purest church service and it's still not as pure as God is. You can have the most right, pure, white suit, white tie, white belt buckle on and show up to church and you can even raise your hands and say hallelujah, but there is nothing that is as pure as Christ. We think about purity. We might think about snow and how white and how perfect and pristine it is. And it is until those old plows come through, isn't it? There's nothing like looking out on a winter's day and you see that untouched snow that reminds you of the holiness of God. But unlike that snow, God will never be impure, nor can impurity dwell with Him. But sadly, we have grown accustomed to impurity in our lives. 
We've grown accustomed to impure thoughts and impure motives and impure actions and impure everything, so much so that we have forgotten that we are carrying God within us and that He deserves a far greater house than what we've given Him. The temple in the Old Testament was meant to be a place where God's presence was known, where God was worshipped, and before a priest would go in, what must he do? Purify himself. What must he do in there? You know what the Day of Atonement was a part of for? That they purified the temple itself before they could sprinkle the blood to see that the sins of the people were covered. Purity, 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 purity. Another word, another way of putting purity is holy. It's set apart. It's utterly different. Your holiness and all your righteousness and all the good you might muster up, it's not comparable to His. You see, the impure can't be with the pure. The purity of God's presence separates and it sanctifies. But dear friend, it also satisfies those who will receive Him by faith. The knowledge of God is given and offered to you today. It's right here in the Word. It's right here in creation. It's right there in your conscience. right there. If you're saved today by the Holy Ghost of God, His presence is there. But you must know that that presence is a pure presence. If God is not going to be satisfied with impurity, why are we? Why are we so okay with impure practices in churches? Why are we so okay with our impurities within our body. Notice he says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body. Here the idea is not just your outer flesh. God's not sticking out your skin going, hey, I'm the Holy Ghost. No, this is the idea of all that you are. Here the word body is they're all-encompassing. It is from the inside out. It belongs to Him. It's been bought by Him. Therefore, the places you go, the things that you do, that's the stuff that gets preached about the most in our independent Baptist churches today. We preach this moralism about you got to get your outside right. you got to get your outside right. And yes, get your outside right. But long before your outside gets right, your inside must be right. You will never live a pure life on the outside unless you are pure on the inside. You will never live a holy, separated life unto God and, unless you are holy and separate unto Him from the inside out. You can preach suits and ties. You can preach dress code. You can preach don't cuss and don't drink, don't chew and don't hang out with girls that do. Don't go to dance and don't go to movies. You can preach all that mess and still miss out on what God calls pure. Let's look at this today. The purity of His presence. First of all, that it separates the believer. It separates us completely from the world. It separates us not just from the world, but it separates us unto God. The life of a Christian is meant to be one that is separated. It is to be separate from the world, the flesh, and the devil, but not just to be set apart from it. But what is repentance, right? Repentance is not just turning from something, but in the process, turning to something, rather to someone. And so what is this? To know, to have this knowledge of being separated from those things, what's to be separated unto God Himself. The greatest desire that God has for your life today is not that you would have health, wealth, and prosperity. He loves to bless His children, but the greatest desire that He has for you is that you might know Him in the power of His presence. That you might walk with Him as we were designed to walk with Him in the garden. But man in his sin denied God, rejected God, and walked away. And what have we done ever since that moment in that fall? We have done the same exact thing. God desires that you might know Him because it is in knowing Him that we do experience the blessing. But the greatest blessing of knowing Him is just that. It's knowing Him. 
I want us to look now today, keep your finger here in 1 Corinthians 6, and as well now in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I want us to look a little bit at the very glimpse of the life of Moses. We're going to see here that God separates the believer. Moses was used mightily. Moses was a a wonderful picture and did many great works, and he was the one who got the law. He was the one even that pointed to Christ. So much happened in the life of Moses that was so wonderful in the way in which God did so. But nevertheless, it was not that Moses was so special, it's that he just simply was available to God and said yes to God, and even in all his faults and failures, God used him. When you read about those in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, you don't read about people who were perfect and sinless. Matter of fact, you read about those who were wicked and sinful, but they served God by faith and they experienced His mercy, they walked in His presence, and they glorified God. They're not known because of their mighty works, they're known of the mighty works that God did through them. And what you and I should be known for is not our mighty works, but through the mighty works that God would like to do through us. God would like to use you today, dear believer, but He will never and cannot and will not continue to choose to use these impure vessels of which we offer Him. If we know the purity of His presence, it will clean us up. And I'm not calling you and I'm not calling me to clean up our own lives. Rather, I'm calling us to surrender to let God clean us up. God will clean the inner man before He changes the outer. We must understand such. Here in the life of Moses, I want us to look chapter 3, verses 1-3. through Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock on the back side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, which, uh, the, why the bush is not burnt. I want to pause here for just a moment. There's a lot of foolish commentators out there today. There's some folks who would take this burning bush that's not yet consumed and say, well, this is just a refraction from the sunlight off the desert and the backside to make that bush look like it's glowing in a flame. And that's one interpretation. But here's another. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire. And the bush was not consumed. Perhaps God showed up in a burning bush and didn't consume it and revealed himself to Moses. I'll take what the Bible says every time. Now, as we look at this, we have to understand here that the life of Moses is one of separation, it's one of sanctification. It's one of satisfaction, but only through, and what we see through the life of Moses, through the purity of God's presence. Moses would be changed by it, forever changed by it, and you and I must as well be forever changed by it, because you and I have something that Moses and the Old Testament saints did not quite get to experience. We get to look back at what Jesus, the promise and the provision of God, has already done and accomplished, that he's made a way when there was no way. He's torn the veil, that we no longer have to have a day of atonement. The day of atonement's happened. It happened on Calvary's hill. But you and I have then been given a gift, the gift of God Himself, the Holy Ghost of God that now dwells within us. We don't have to go to a temple to be in God's presence. We are the temple of God's presence. Now, you say, well, why do we have to go to church then? I can just stay home since God's with me. Yeah, and that same God that's within you told you to get your rear to church. Fellowship with the saints of God because you need the church and the church needs you. Now in this, Moses is separated from a couple of things. First of all, he's separated from his people in Egypt. 
<coughs> he's separated in this, though, from the Egyptians. Praise God. God gets him out and puts him in the wilderness to separate him from the world. He separates him from the worldly system of Egypt. Now, don't forget, remember, it was Moses that long before Sinai, uh, long before Mount Horeb here, which is also called Sinai, we'll see the importance of that in a little while, that God had separated Moses in Egypt to raise him in the house of Pharaoh. So he separated him to be raised by the Egyptians. Why? He gave him all this education, all these tools, all these gifts. And you know why he did it? So he could take them all away. Because here in this moment in the wilderness, Moses realizes, and he's getting ready to start stuttering and stammering and telling God why he can't do it. Moses, if anybody could have delivered God's people, if Moses, if anybody could have told Pharaoh eloquently as to why the people should be let go, it was Moses but God has to separate us by the purity of His presence to show us that we've got nothing without Him. And that all that we have is Him. God separates Him from the world of Egypt. God separates Him from even His own gifts and talents which He developed there in Egypt. And God separates Moses from His own people to sift Him of His own will, to sift Him of His own strength, and to sift Him of His own might and His own talents so that God will get the glory in His life. Because, dear friend, God does not get glory when you do it. God gets the glory when He does it through you. Moses was more than prepared to tell Pharaoh what to do and to get the people out of there when he was already in Egypt. But what does God do here? The purity of God's presence takes Moses out of that place, away from his people, into a solitary place. Look at this even more so. We see that it is God's presence that is purifying him, that is separating him, that is sifting him. Because God sifts us by the purity of his presence so that then he can use us. Now you can have a boxed cake mix, can't you? I'll take a a boxed cake mix because I found many cakes that I didn't like. But there's something about homemade cake. But every person that ever bakes a homemade cake, what do they do with that flour? There we go. We got a baker here. They sift it. Why? I've asked my mom, and I don't remember if she gave me an answer. I've asked other people. The only answer I'd come up with, it just works better. (laughs) You know something? Your Christian life works a whole lot better when we get sifted separated from the world, separated from ourself, separated unto God. Because we must be separate from everything else in order to be separate unto Him to where He's all that we see. And here on the backside of the desert, look at this. Backside of the desert, Moses is separated and out in the wilderness. And I love this. Moses keeps the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He leads the flock to the backside of the desert. And he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Though his own people, and perhaps even the Egyptians have forgotten him. And though it seems that he's in the middle of nowhere, he's literally in the middle of nowhere. The idea of the backside of the desert, it's the wilderness. God sees him. And Moses is on the mind and heart of God because God is about to do the greatest work he's ever done for Moses. And it's right here in this sifting, separating moment. If we don't have this moment here, of the backside of the wilderness we don't have on the mountain of Sinai receiving the law. What God is doing is separating this mountain of God and separating this man of God to be used of God. 
so that God would get the glory through His people. He is demonstrating and separating and sifting only through the same thing that He's ever, ever used. And that is the purity of His presence because it is the God's holiness, His character, it is His perfect character that separates us from Him in the first place. But yet, at the very same time, the moment you receive Christ's righteousness, it is the very same thing that draws us near to Him. God will continue to separate Himself in His purifying presence on this mountain and in this man for the people of God. God must separate us from the world. God must separate us from our own fleshly desire and our own fleshly will in order to know and do His will. And this is a work only through the purifying presence of the Spirit of God within us. Ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. What does that mean? I can't take a vacuum and a broom to it, but God can. And there's times in your life where the purifying presence of God, where He will reel you back in quick. Where He will do the cleaning up. And it's about time that we stop trying to be our own Holy Spirit, or let alone, as we really like to do as good Baptists, to be someone else's Holy Spirit. It's about time that we let the Holy Spirit do what He does, and what He does is He separates us and sifts us so that we would be more pure for the pure God that we serve, that we know, that we love. We are His temple. It belongs to Him there in 1 Corinthians 6. You see, the Holy Spirit, which is the purifying presence of God within us, separates us from the world, separates us from the old man, separates us and sifts us out. It sifts out that sin in our life so that we will be purified by His presence. And those that are purified by His presence can be used by God. Don't think that those separating moments that God has for you in your life where He gets you all alone and gets you all to yourself is meant to destroy you. Rather, it is to break you down so that God can build you up. The same God who breaks us at times is the same God that binds us up and builds us up in Him. And it is all by His grace, His mercy. It is all done through His presence within our life. But furthermore, we see this separation here, but it leads to the purity of His presence sanctifies the believer. Here in Exodus it says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great sight why the bush is not burnt. This would be a great sight to see. But notice this. Moses doesn't know still even yet the presence of God. But God gets his attention. It is Moses that has to say, I will now turn to see this thing. What's Moses supposed to be doing? Moses says he kept the flock of his father-in-law. He's supposed to be watching a sheep. But instead, what he's about to do is see something far greater than sheep. He's about to see the Good Shepherd and Bishop of his soul. He's about to see the presence of God. And it's about to change his life because it's going to call him to do something far greater than he could ever do in his flesh. It's calling Moses to do something that only God can do through him. You and I today, even this morning, before we go any further, you must know that the knowledge of God is right there. The presence of God, if you're a believer, it's right there. But in your spirit, have you turned aside to see the presence of God? And your soul and your mind and your thoughts and your life, where you go, your work, your job, your family, have you turned aside to see the presence of God in it and to see what God would have for you? To see how God would use you? To see how God would glorify Himself through you? We must turn aside and see God and God alone. Verse 4, And when the Lord saw that He turned aside to see, Notice that. 
we respond by faith. And God responds to that faith, doesn't He? It's then and only then. Now, Moses could have been out here with his flock. And God could have came down and said, Moses! Boy, that, that echoed good, didn't it? And Moses could have looked up and said, oh, well, there's God. Okay, alright, well this is something new. But he doesn't, does he? He gets something off here. He's separated from everything and everybody. Gets his attention. Now Moses says, I'm going to go see what this is. I ain't seen this before. Then it says, God sees that he turned aside to come to that bush. And then God called out to him. Where from? From the clouds and heavens? No, from the midst of that bush. You ever had a bush talk to you? Me neither. But if it does, I'm going to listen. Because this is no bush. This is the God who said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the same God who in one day, Jesus Christ in the flesh is going to say, Lazarus, come forth. There's life. The same God who said, I will give you my spirit and he shall be with you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will give you power. I will give you protection. I will give you all these things. The same God that speaks those things speaks now from this bush. He speaks from a holy fire. And yet in that holy fire of that now holy bush, and it's only holy, by the way, not because that bush is different than all the other bushes in the wilderness. It's, it's different because God's presence is there. Because God's presence is there, it's holy. God shows up in this holy fire because our God is a consuming fire, is what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. We see this, though, yet it's not consumed. Why? Because though you and I might know the holiness of God, we see yet the goodness of God, and God's people, though they walk through fire, though they walk through trials, will not be consumed. God is with him. That's what he's teaching Moses here. Called out unto him from the midst of the bush, said, Moses, Moses, Abraham, Abraham. Oh, we see this over and over where God calls out, Moses, Moses. Why? He's showing him the urgency of what he's about to tell him, and here's what he tells him. First, he says, Moses, Moses, and Moses has to respond, here am I. And that's the only response, by the way. When God's presence is revealed to us, within us, through the Holy Ghost, the only response that there is to the presence of God is says, oh, you're here? Well, I'm here too. Why? Because there's nothing more that we need than to know God's presence and to surrender that presence so that His presence would be the overflow of our life. It would be the driving force and motivation of our life. And then here's what God tells him. As he begins to sanctify Moses and begins to sanctify even this mountain, he says, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. That's some serious business here. His purity, his holiness is overwhelming. Where we find as well in Isaiah 6, where God is demonstrated to be holy, 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 His presence is known. Isaiah's response is, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and live in the midst of a generation of people of unclean lips. And what happens? The angel that has just been there crying out to God, Holy, 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 takes a flaming coal off the altar with tongs, because it's too hot, by the way, and comes to Isaiah. Stick out your tongue. And he purifies him, cleanses him. Why? 
Because any man or woman of God that has ever been used of God must be purified, and we are only purified when we come to know the presence of purity itself. Draw not nigh hither. Let me give you some Carroll County language. Don't come no closer. That's it. There's a line. Why? Because an unholy man cannot touch a holy God. Mortal cannot touch nor see immortal. Put off thy shoes. Because the shoes tracked everywhere he went. Moses was around sheep. Sheep produce something that comes out of them that Moses would have stepped in. Moses walking in the wilderness in the desert. It's unclean. It's the same reason why the, the Jews of the day, even through Jesus' day, would wash the feet of those that come in. Why? They might take a bath whenever to purify themselves, but daily and moment by moment, their feet are growing more and more dirty. Why? Because the more we're in this world, the more dirt there is. That's why we need the purifying presence of God in our life. And then he says this, because you're standing on holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Not because that one little piece of the wilderness is any different than the rest of the piece of the wilderness. It's because God is there. What is your life like? What is your body for? What is your mind like? What is your heart for? It is different. You still look the same on the outside as every other lost soul, but it's different. Why? Because the presence of God is there. Therefore, we must be very careful. Moses says, in just a moment, verse 6, God says, I am the God, thy Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, As God reveals the purity of His presence to Moses here to separate Moses from the world and separate him to Himself and to sanctify him now to prepare him for use. This idea of sanctifying is to be set apart for a specific use. When we're saying that we are to be sanctified, right? we're justified by God, but then we're sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It's to be set apart for His use. For His use. He reveals His covenant once more to remind Moses of His fathers who walked by faith and knew the presence of God. And notice Moses' response. He hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Sadly, ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God, and you're not so afraid to look at the things that you look at. You're not so afraid to listen to the things you listen to and to go the places that you go and to think the thoughts that you think. As a matter of fact, you find little to no danger because you say, well, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Oh, my dear friend, if we were to understand that God Himself is within us and that we are His temple, it would change and should and better change how we live, act, think, and feel. God is pure and holy. And do not think that the Holy Spirit is something off to Himself and He's not holy. He is God. He is holy. He is the purifying presence of God and He will not leave you the way that you are, but there is a key and a condition here. You must, like Moses, turn aside and see what God has for you. You must be available. You must be there. Even though you've been separated and sifted, even though you're in the middle of a wilderness, no matter where you are, the moment that God speaks and shows you His presence, you must surrender to it. And even in that surrender, what we find is a hiding of one's face and being afraid to look upon God. You and I must understand that when God's purifying presence reveals Himself within us through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will drive us to our knees. When's the last time that you were driven to your knees over your sin? Even the slightest of sins that you might call it. That you say, oh God, I'm impure. God, I'm unholy. 
Got them. I've abused your temple. Do you not know that when you sin, you are abusing the gift of which God has given you? You are trashing the very place of which God intends to dwell and to display Himself to this world? That's what sin does. God is sanctifying Moses by His revealing of His purity. But it is the purifying presence of God that will ultimately deliver Israel, ultimately delivers us. We'd be sanctified, to be set apart for use, and that's what God is doing here. He's using a man who says, I can't do it. He's using a man who is unclean and is hiding his face from him. That's the one that God will use, though. Why? Because this is the one that will simply say, okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it, but God, you're going to have to do it. God, I'm struggling with sin. I don't have the power of it, but only you can do it, and God will do it. God can. God will for His people. Third, we find this. In the life of Moses, in your life and in mine, the purity of God's presence is to not only be the thing that separates us from the world and unto God, it's not only be this thing that sanctifies us for God's use in this world, but it is the very thing that satisfies us. Sadly, we're satisfied to do church without God. Sadly, we're satisfied to read our Bible without God. Sadly, we're satisfied to pray without God, His glory and His holiness upon our mind. Sadly, we are satisfied to go about our job without ever thinking about God or His strength or His glory. Sadly, we are satisfied, period, without God. But there is no real satisfaction, is there? No. We remain dry and thirsty. We remain hungry. But I would tell you that we must be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Hungry and thirsty for the presence of God once more. What separated us from other generations that knew God's presence and saw mighty moves of God is not the timing, but rather that they had a hunger and a thirst for not just the things that God could do or would do or might do, but they had a hunger and a thirst for God Himself. Today's Christians... We want all that God gives, but not all that God is. We want all that God does, but we don't just want all of Him. But the only thing that will ever satisfy you is not what God gives, but who He is. And those that aren't satisfied by such, I would say you must check your heart today to see if you know this God of which we speak. The life of Moses, turn over with me to Exodus 33. I've referenced it many a time because it is so critical and key in the life of Israel, but as well in the life of Moses. Here we find this place of satisfaction. Exodus 33. You see, nothing should satisfy us more than the pure presence of God. What used to make church services what they were and mighty moves of God what they were in services and in our daily devotions and walk is not the songs not the speakers, but that God was there. That God was there. Exodus 33, verse number 9. The life of Moses is one that is consumed and consecrated to the presence of God. Consumed and consecrated by the presence of God. Verse number 9, And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle with a cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. 
And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle. And all the people rose up and worshipped. Every man in his tent door. Why? Because God was there. And they knew that God was meeting with God's man. And He was only God's man because He said yes to God. It wasn't that Moses was more special than anybody else. It's that He had said yes. And the Lord, this is, this is interesting here, spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Who's there in the burning bush? Who's there in that cloud at the tabernacle door talking to Moses? Who can talk face to face to God? Not Moses. Not me and you. You say, well, it says he talked to him face to face. This is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. This is none other than Jesus. Notice though, even though I firmly believe that this is Christ speaking to Moses face to face, there is still yet that cloudy pillar of the Shekinah glory of God that separates Moses from all that God is. Why? Because up to this point, there is still yet a veil between man and God. But the one that would break that veil is the one that speaks to Moses right now in the midst of it. He is Christ. He is the one that was prophesied and promised by God in the Old Testament. He is the one that has been revealed as Jesus came in the flesh and was lifted up on that cross and rose from that empty tomb. He is the same one that is now demonstrated and preached in the Gospels and in the Epistles. He is the one that is promised and prophesied to come again in Revelation. He is the Lord Jesus Christ who is purity and truth and righteousness and holiness and goodness and grace and mercy and love itself. The purity of His presence changes Him here and He says, and He turned again into the camp, but His servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Boy, if we'd have such an attitude as that. To not depart. To not want to depart from the presence of God. You ever been in a time of prayer where you just say, God, I don't want to stop praying. It's so good. Not because you've just answered all my prayers right now, but God, because You're with me. You ever been in a church service that don't want to end? You're probably not feeling that right now. That's the sad reality is that we are so accustomed to doing the Christian life without God that when God's in it, we will know the difference in what He is. We don't want it to end because there's nothing that satisfies more than His presence. Or that we might have hearts that don't want to depart from His presence. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. And those are great things, Moses says. He says, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee. Moses says, All I need is to know you. That's it. Why? That I may find grace in the sight, in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. What does rest sound like? It sounds an awful lot like being satisfied, isn't it? Because you can be satisfied and joyful in the midst of storms and yet keep on sleeping. What did Jesus do? Uh, at the bottom of the boat asleep while there's a storm and these brave old fishermen who know the storms and know the sea and know that boat, they're scared to death. And Jesus knows no way. Why? Because He knows His Father. He knows the work of the Spirit. And He knows that God can give rest. Today, dear friend, you can find rest. And you won't find it in this world. 
You won't find it in your hard work. You won't find it in trying to get to God. You'll find it in the fact that God is within you. The Holy Ghost of God. In your presence, in His presence rather, you will find peace. You'll find satisfaction. He said, Unto Him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Break that down. God, if you're not going to be with me, and if you're not going to be with the people, and if you're not going to go before us, then don't move me from right here. Why? Because at least in that moment, God is right there talking to him. God is right there in the tabernacle. God's presence is there. And Moses knows that for the sake of Israel, for the sake of his own heart, that if the presence of God is not there, it's not worth going. It's not worth doing because there's nothing that satisfies. There's nothing that brings peace and power like the purifying presence of God. For wherein shall it be known that I and Thy people have found grace in thy sight. It is not that thou goest with us. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Purifying, separated, purifying. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. What a sweet promise that is. And he said, this is Moses now, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. There, Moses has seen the cloud with Christ hidden in it. He's seen the the pillar. He's seen the cloud. He's been there face to face. But Christ has been hidden in it. And now he says, I want to see your glory. What is that? It's all of you. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, will show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. And when the Lord passed by, chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Who's preaching here? Moses? No. God's preaching. Nobody preaches like God preaches. Nothing speaks the Word of God better than the Word of God Himself. Here, Moses is only catching an afterglow of the glimpse of the glory of God. And notice, notice this. He says, Lord, the Lord God, here's Him revealing Himself to Him, merciful, gracious, you want to know my glory? Here it is. Long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. We find that to see God is to see pureness, purity, holiness, we also find a satisfaction. In verse 8, Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped. Moses would come down off that mount changed. Separated. Sanctified. But Moses would now be satisfied because he's met with God and God's met with him. I would pray that you and I might be like Moses and Joshua, that wouldn't want to depart from this place because God's here, but that we would not depart until we have been changed by the presence of God. Until God has changed us from the inside out. Have you settled for church and missed Christ in the process? Have you settled for a Christian walk without Jesus in it? Lastly, I bring you this And we're done. The purity of His presence purifies the believer inwardly, then outwardly, as we surrender 
an obedient, faithful submission to His presence within us. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God, that ye were bought with a price, you're not your own. Therefore glorify God and your body and in your spirit, which are God's, it belongs to Him. We have a promise for our future. To be in the pure, unadulterated presence of Almighty God. And here's what it looks like. Listen here. Revelation 21, 1-5 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. New means new, by the way. I don't believe it's just renewed. I believe that it's going to be brand new. But nevertheless, one way or the other, I'm not going to care on that day because God's going to be there. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There's no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When that bride walks down that aisle, what's she wearing? A beautiful, white, pure dress. God is purifying His church, and He's doing so through His presence. But you can have church without Christ, and you will miss out, dear friend. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the presence of God, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be His people and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. It gets gooder. Look at verse 22, chapter 21. He says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. I can't fathom such, can you? And I saw no temple therein. <gasps> no church building. <gasps> no temple. <gasps> no tabernacle. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You see, the temple is not a building, but it is the dwelling place of God. It's His presence. And He's there. He says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth it. Why? Because it's pure! It's pure! Neither whatsoever worketh abomination. Why? Because it's pure. Or maketh a lie. Why? Because it's pure. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know why? Because one day, dear saint of God, you will be made pure, whole, forever and forever. God has clothed you in His righteousness now. He's given you His presence now to live the Christian life. And it's His power. It's His presence that will live it through you anyways. But one day, when this mortal, when this temporary, when this... Uh, corrupted, puts on incorruption. When we see glory, then we'll know true purity. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life which bare twelve men of fruits and yielded her fruit every, uh, fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Why? Because it's pure. Because God's there. Throne of God, and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him, and they shall see his face. Over in Exodus, we said that Moses had seen and talked to God as it were face to face. But yet there in the midst, you ever notice that cloud's there. Why? 
Christ is just on the other side. My dear friend, there is no more cloud here. There is no more veil here. There is nothing to keep you from being able to look into the eyes of the one that died for you. To see Him face to face. To know our God. And His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them the light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What we need now is a glimpse of the purity of God's presence so that we might be changed by it. I ask you today, have you settled for anything but? Have you settled for church without Christ? Have you settled for the Christian life without the purity of presence of God? Don't settle, dear believer. Know God's presence as you were meant to and be changed by it. And one day, you too shall see Him face to face. Let's all stand this morning. If you have a need today, first of all, if you need to know Christ, if you need to have this same hope that we've sung about and talked about and sung about and preached about, come, trust Christ, be born again, so that you too may know that your sins are forgiven, that you may be able to see Him face to face one day. But for you, dear believer, maybe you're struggling. You've got some impurities in your thoughts, in your life, in your feelings, in your emotions, in your responses, in your actions, in the way in which you worship, perhaps. May God reveal those impurities to you now. May you confess them. May you surrender to Him. May God get the glory. May His pureness drive us to Him.